Uh, Romans chapter 15. If you've got a Bible with you, if not, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Romans 15, and we're just going to read from verse 22 through to verse 33. So we are just continuing on with our, our series through uh, this great letter to the Romans. Uh, if, you've not, if you've not been here for any of the other uh, messages that we looked at, you've had a great recap <laughs> from the young ones this morning. But let's read from verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So this is Paul, he's writing to these Christians in Rome uh, and then he goes on to say, at the present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem for they were pleased to do it. And since they owe it to them, and since they owe, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. What are these uh, verses all about that we've just read together? Uh, I think they're all about teamwork. They're all about partnership. I think that's the theme that holds all these Uh, verses together. Uh, A little while ago, uh, I had a summer job uh, when I was at university uh, working in a vitamin factory uh, just outside Kirkham. Uh, I worked there for about eight weeks uh, and uh, you did different jobs on different days. And I remember uh, one day I spent the whole day uh, sat on a stool putting little cylinder pieces of foam into uh, little plastic pots, they were there to stop the vitamins cracking when they were trans- transported. So all day, uh, minute after minute, just popping these uh, bits of foam into the vitamin pots. Uh, and uh, you kind of, uh, <laughs> it, it was good at times just to, to look up <laughs> and see someone else uh, just working a little bit further down the production line, doing uh, a different job and just remembering what this was all about. <laughs> like, you just, or you're dreaming of these kind of pieces of, of foam when you went to, to bed at night, just to remember that the aim wasn't just to put pieces of foam in plastic pots, but you know, you were producing vitamins and it was the finished article on the shelf. It was good just to, to look up and remember, okay, I'm part of something a bit bigger, I'm part of a team, we're working together, we're working towards one goal. 
And uh, this passage, I think, that we've read this morning uh, does that for us as a church. It just kind of lifts our eyes a little bit and helps us remember that we're just we're part of something bigger and broader and grander uh, than our, our, just us meeting together Sunday by Sunday, as good as that is, and we love to do that. We're part of something bigger. Uh, so that's the theme of this uh, passage, uh, teamwork, partnership, uh, fellowship, uh, and the, the teamwork, the partnership, the fellowship that this passage is all about, it's about teamwork and partnership in the gospel, in the gospel. As we've gone through Romans, this word gospel, I've been using it all the time, haven't I? And uh, what, what does it mean? Let's just remember, because that's what this letter's all about. It's about the gospel. This word means good news. Good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the good news of, of rescue. If you're here this morning, you don't know about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news about rescue, about salvation. And Paul has spelled out this rescue uh, in amazing terms. It's rescue from sin and selfishness and rebellion against God. It's rescue from eternal death. It's the hope of, of resurrection, that when we die, we'll be raised bodily to live eternally in a new creation. It's about a rescue that we could never achieve for ourselves. It gives us an unshakable hope. And this rescue, uh, it, it, it centres upon the Lord Jesus Christ, on his death for our sins and his resurrection, and that secures our hope. Someone said you've not got something worth living for unless you've got something worth dying for. And the Apostle Paul <laughs> has something worth dying for. And every Christian here who knows Jesus has something worth dying for. The gospel is the best news that you could, could ever, ever hear. And so Paul is talking about this, this fellowship, this partnership in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus. That's important for us just to highlight that when we're thinking about teamwork and partnership. This partnership is, is, is partnership in the gospel. And outside of the gospel, there can't be the kind of partnership that Paul's talking about. In our statement of faith, we have this, this line. It says, the unity of the body of Christ is expressed within and between churches by mutual love care and encouragement. True fellowship between churches exists only where they are faithful to the gospel. This is partnership in the gospel. And uh, Paul gives us two here uh, evidences or ways that this gospel partnership works out in practice. Two ways we as a church should look to, to grow in this kind of sharing of fellowship with other Christians and, and other churches. First, here's the first one, uh, giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. That's one way this partnership, teamwork between Christians and between churches works out. Last week, uh, Jonathan, when he preached to us, he asked us that question, didn't he, at the start? Quite a, a penetrating question. What is your ambition? What is your ambition? And he spoke to us of Paul's ambition, 
was to preach Jesus where Jesus hasn't been preached. He was desperate to get on it out of Greece, into Spain, uh, pioneering uh, with the message of Jesus. In many ways, this letter to the Romans, it's written to the Romans, but it's written for the Spaniards. <laughs> because Paul wants the Christians in Rome to partner with him so that he can press on into Spain and share the message of Jesus with those who haven't heard it yet. Paul has this burning passion, doesn't he, for those who don't know Jesus. And so it's a real surprise when we get to verse 25 and we see Paul, he's been saying, I'm desperate, I'm desperate to get to Spain. And then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem first. <laughs> if, you know, if you know your geography, you'll, you'll know that Spain and Jerusalem are in just like opposite directions. So Paul is saying, I can't wait, can't wait to get to Jerusalem, can't wait to get to Spain, but first I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. So whatever his ambition, however big that was to get to Spain, there must be something equally big <laughs> that means he's going to Jerusalem. It's going to put 2,000 miles on his journey. Imagine now he's telling you today, oh, I'm going to London, I'm desperate to get to London, I can't wait to get to London, and then you see me at Carnforth Station tomorrow and I'm getting on a train to go to Edinburgh. You say, oh, strange. The question is, is why is Paul going to Jerusalem? Well, it's because, verse 26, you can see he's got this gift. He calls it a contribution, and literally the word is, is fellowship or sharing. And this is a gift from some of the churches in Greece, he names two, and it's a gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. And giving a gift is an expression of, of, of partnership, teamwork, and of fellowship. And giving a gift just reflects the gospel, doesn't it? It reflects the heart of our, our God who gives and gives and gives generously, gives his own son. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And so we as individuals and as a church are called to be those who, who give. But also this gift has to be received, and that seems to be Paul's main concern, actually, not the giving. The collection's already taken place, but it's the reception of the gift. So you can see, if you've got a Bible, verse 28 and 31... Paul wants this gift to be received rightly. And we maybe think of giving as part of partnership and teamwork, but also receiving is part of partnership and teamwork. I wonder if you ever thought of it like that. If you were to meet a stranger in the street tomorrow uh, and he was to say, oh, here's a, here's a hundred quid, take it. Your first instinct probably wouldn't be to take that money. You might think it would, but you'd want to know well, why. <laughs> On what basis? What, what relationship do we have? Receiving a gift uh, kind of establishes some sort of fellowship and relationship, doesn't it? And so Paul, when this gift is given uh, to the saints in Jerusalem, he wants it to be, to be rightly received. So partnership in the gospel looks like giving and receiving. And for us as a church, there are all sorts of ways we can do that, aren't there? Within our church family, all sorts of ways that we can give and receive. And sometimes we're more willing to give than we are to receive, actually. Because receiving a gift is humbling, isn't it? It makes me dependent. 
one way we've done this just week is just a meal rotor for Dylan and Charlotte. A lovely, tangible, simple expression of giving and receiving. And this can also happen between churches as well. I uh, last somewhere I went to a pastor's conference and uh, there was just a, a two church leaders got up on the stage and they were sharing how this had happened. It was a church in Kendall actually and a church in Ambleside. And there was a church in Kendall uh, that lent one of their, their, their pastors, their assistant ministers, to a church in Ambleside for half the week. <laughs> the church in Ambleside was, was struggling. The person who'd been helping lead that uh, was getting older. Uh, and the church in Ambleside had reached out to the church in Kendall for some kind of partnership and fellowship. And they said, here you go. Uh, have one of our workers for, for half of the week. That beautiful way just to express fellowship, a giving and receiving. That's part of, of partnership. That's one example. And we do this as a church, don't we? We give to various ministries and outreach opportunities. And it's important that we do that. And we continue to look for ways to, for expressing this uh, partnership. I, I ask myself, why is this gift so important to the Apostle Paul? If you read his other letters, you realise this gift from the church in Greece to the church in Jerusalem is a bit of an obsession for Paul. He writes about it a lot. Uh, I think the reason it's, it's so important to him, the reason why he would delay going to Spain, is that this uh, gift is a, is a tangible and real expression of the grace and unity of the gospel. It's a tangible obvious expression of the unity between particularly Jews and Gentiles. That's what he says in verse, uh, which verse is it, 27, he says, for if they were, ple- they were pleased to do it, speaking of the, the churches in Greece, and indeed they owe it to them, to the church in Jerusalem, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. Paul has been very hard on this, hasn't he, through the letter to the Romans, of this unity between Jew and Gentile that's established in the Lord Jesus. And this gift is a, a tangible expression of that unity. It's a reminder to us, isn't it, these truths that we've been learning about, these teachings, these doctrines that we've been learning about in Romans, they cannot just stay in our heads. There needs to be, uh, they need to get to our hands and our, our feet. That's a, a challenge. I've been challenged by that this week. It's easy to hear the word, to understand it, but, it, but it not to, to change your life. You can preach the word, you can understand it, and it not to, to have any impact on, on, on how you live. Expressing gospel unity in real life ways is so important. It overcomes the kind of tribalism and competitiveness that we're so prone to. So that's giving and receiving. And then quickly you'll see praying is another expression of gospel unity and partnership. Paul says, I appeal to you brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. 
Paul wants these Christians in Rome to just pray for him. And he gives them three very particular, specific prayer points. He says when he goes to Judea, he wants to be delivered from the unbelievers. He's got enemies, Paul. Paul Paul has enemies almost everywhere he goes. And he wants to be delivered from the unbelievers. He wants for this gift that he's bringing to be received and accepted. He wants to be welcomed by the Christians in Jerusalem. And then he wants to be able to travel back uh, to Rome to be with these people that he's writing to. If we looked at those, those prayer points, just to kind of skim them, we may think, oh, Paul, he just wants to be kind of, uh, he wants to be safe, <laughs> he wants to be successful, and he wants to be refreshed and well-rested with the people in Rome. <laughs> and we might think, oh, Paul's praying selfish prayers there. But actually, uh, Paul's prayers are just shaped by the gospel <laughs> and not by his selfish desires. He wants to be well received in Jerusalem because it's so important that this gift is received for the sake of the gospel. He wants to be delivered from his enemies in in Judea so that he can go on his way and preach the gospel. He wants to come and be refreshed in Rome so then he can press on into Spain. These are gospel-shaped prayers. That's a challenge, isn't it, for us? I don't know about you, but I find it easy to pray for those things that concern me and my needs. I find it a little bit more difficult to pray consistently for the concerns of the gospel. There are also humble prayers, Paul's uh, prayers here. He says, so that by God's will, if I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. (laughs) Yet he makes all these plans and, and he has all these hopes, but he says, if by God's God's will. There are two kind of prayers that we can pray, aren't there? We can pray for things that God has clearly promised to give us. God wants us to grow in love. The children have reminded us of that. He wants us to to know and experience more of his love and for us to grow in love for one another. When we pray for that, we can pray boldly and confidently and we don't have to say if that's your will because we know that it is. But there are also prayers that we pray, often more about the specifics of our lives, the details of our day-to-day, where we're, not, we're trying to discern what God's will is. We're trying to understand what's, what's wise. We're edging our way forward one step at a time. And to pray in, that, in, that, in those circumstances, if it is your will, or according to your will, that's not a lack of faith. That's humility. That's recognising that... The world goes on not according to my will, but according to God's will. The gospel-shaped, humble prayers. That's the kind of prayers that we're called to as we partner and teamwork with other Christians and other churches. And they're also struggling prayers. So Paul says, strive or struggle together with me in your prayers. What he said, I don't find prayer easy often. Don't know about you. But then I, I, I'm encouraged when I come here and Paul says, strive, struggle. Prayers work. Imagine you're a Christian in Rome and you receive this letter from a man that you've never met, the Apostle Paul. And he calls you to pray for him, particularly in these three areas. 
and life gets busy and family life gets busy and there's work and there's pressures and there's your own needs. It's hard. You'd be worked to, to, to pray persistently and regularly for the Apostle Paul. Prayer doesn't just happen. And yet this kind of prayer is the bedrock of, of gospel partnership and fellowship. So it's an encouragement for us as a church uh, to give ourselves to this kind of prayer. We have fortnightly a, a prayer meeting where we gather together. And part of me is reluctant to, to kind of make this application because the last thing I want is to, to guilt trip everyone into coming to the prayer meeting. <laughs> but prayer is important. Prayer is massive. And prayer is work, especially when God doesn't answer in the way we expect. Think about Paul's three prayer points and think about how God answered them. Paul wanted to be delivered from the, those who opposed him in Judea. Was he delivered? Well, kind of. There was a plot to kill him, he was delivered from that. But he was arrested and bound and put in prison. Paul wanted this gift to be received well by the, the saints in Jerusalem. Was that prayer answered? We don't know. There's no reference to it in, in the scriptures. Likely that it was. Paul wanted to come to Rome and be refreshed and see the, the Christians there. Was that answered? Kind of. Paul was transported as prisoner of Caesar from Jerusalem to Rome, and he went to Rome under house arrest. I don't know what Paul had in mind when he asked for these prayer points, but that's how God answered him. For persevering in these kind of gospel-centered, humble, striving prayers is hard, but it's what the Lord calls us to. John Stott in his commentary writes, the purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to ours, but to align our will with his. Not to bend God's will to ours, but to align our will with his. And it's really encouraged me, you know, every two or three months, uh, I get a message or an email from another local church, and it simply says, we're going to be praying for you at Cape and Ray this week. <laughs> how, how can we pray for you as a church? Isn't that a lovely expression of this kind of partnership that Paul is, is writing about? And did you see how eager Paul is for these Christians to pray for him. He's like appealing to them. Just listen, listen to what he, what he says. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Like I said, Paul knows the importance of prayer. And sometimes our language, I think, gives away our small view of prayer. So we say, oh, we'll just pray. Just pray? Or we say, uh, I can't do very much, but I can pray. And yet prayer is absolutely huge, isn't it? We get to talk to the creator and sustainer of the world. Imagine this scenario, uh, very unlikely. Tomorrow I go on holiday to America. <laughs> I'm in America, 
I, I do something to offend some, someone, there's some cultural difference, and uh, I get myself in a lot of trouble. Uh, and I, I ring you and I, I explain the situation. I'm in all sorts of trouble. It's a pretty desperate situation. I've got myself in trouble with the law. And you say to me, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a bad job. <laughs> and they say, well, actually, uh, I've not mentioned this before, but I'm, I'm really good friends with the president. We, we're like family. Maybe I could just speak to him. You say, just, just speak to the president? What do you mean, just speak to the president? I can't do much, but I'll speak to the president. What do you mean you can't do much? <laughs> it's like that with prayer, isn't it? Get to come to the creator of the world and bring the needs of our brothers and sisters to him. Such as two, two very simple ways that we can express partnership and fellowship in the gospel, both among ourselves and wider with, with other churches. Nearly through, I just want to make one other really quick point. Uh, when we come to these practical ways where our Christian life works itself out in things like giving and receiving and praying. It's very easy to get focused on outward behaviours. You know, we hear the call to prayer and so we pull our socks up and we, and we go again and we try to shape our, our outward life. But it's really important to remember that the Christian life is an inside-out life. It's an inside-out life. It comes from our, our hearts, doesn't it? A changed and transformed and renewed heart. And so two things that are going to spur us on, to pray and to give and to receive. And the first is this, the conviction that the, the gospel is powerful. It's the power of God to save people. May God grant us a deeper a deeper sense, a deeper conviction of that truth. And then the second thing that fuels all of this, all of our outward life, which the children really helpfully reminded us of, is that all of these instructions come to us on the backdrop of that wonderful panoramic view of God's mercy and grace. It's because of his mercy that we give. It's because of his mercy that we receive. It's because of his mercy that we give ourselves to prayer. And so may God help us grasp in a deeper way his wonderful mercy.